Happy Easter, everybody. I'm glad that you're here today. So, so glad that you've chosen to join us on this amazing Sunday where over 2,000 years ago, an event changed human history. And an event happened that really is beyond belief that Jesus, God in the flesh, died so you and I can live. Beyond his death, though, on that Sunday morning, Jesus rose from the grave. And that, that's, that's an event. Hey, one person is excited about that. Isn't that fantastic? All right, I know we're all excited about that. Over 2,000 years ago, Jesus rose from the grave, giving us the opportunity to be made right with God. And 2,000 years later, we still celebrate that reality. People all around the world celebrate the reality of Jesus' resurrection. So I'm glad that you're here with us today as we celebrate this. We've got a lot planned for today. Now, let me tell you where we're going to go in our message, and then we're going to dive right in. Today, we're going to look at the significance of a few trees found in the Bible. And if you've heard the Easter story, you're probably thinking, like, how can a tree play a significant role in my life? How can a tree play a significant role in the Easter story? Well, God has a purpose in everything and for everything that he creates. And in the Bible, he talks about some specific trees that have a significant role that was played in human history and that will play in our future. One tree sent us away from our relationship with God, and another tree brought us back. So that's what we're going to explore today. And I'm going to start today in the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes, and then we're going to work our way into the trees. Now, in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, we have what I believe to be one of the most profound statements in the Bible about humanity and about eternity. And that verse is going to come up on the screen here. And I would like all of us to say this out loud together as a big group, okay? So this is kind of like back when you were in elementary school, okay? Remember that? All right, so here we go, out loud together. God has set eternity in the hearts of men. So let's do that one more time. God has set eternity in the hearts of men. Now I think that's an incredibly profound statement. There is something about eternity that intrigues all of us. We all want to know what happens after we die. We're all very interested in that subject. Is this life all that there is? Is this all we get? Do we get another chance to live somewhere else in, in some new way? Uh, we know that there have been many speculations to that question through the years. Many people, many religions have tried to answer the question, what lies beyond the grave? Some people say that this life is all you get, so you better live it to the fullest. Other people say, you know, we can never really know what lies beyond the grave, so why worry about it? And then there's another group of people that see eternity almost like a game of friendly golf. You know, like if you go hang out with your friends and play golf. Anybody do that? Any golfers out there? Any hackers out there? Yeah, that's me. Like I play like every couple of years just to, to remind myself how bad I am at it. When I go play with my friends, uh, there's a word that comes up often, and that word is mulligan. So if you're not familiar with mulligan, that means when I'm out on the golf course and I make a shot that's not so great, my friends just might grace me with a mulligan. Say, hey, go ahead and you know, 
try another shot. It won't count against you. Just see if you can, you can do any better this next round. And so I, you know, give it another shot and then I'll ask for another mulligan and maybe another mulligan. But there's a group of people out there that, that see eternity that way. That maybe eternity is just a mulligan from God. Like if you didn't live real well, maybe God just says, hey, here's another shot at it. So we're all interested in what lies beyond the grave. Christianity teaches that we all will live forever, that we're all going to live forever somewhere, either with God or apart from God. Again, we're very curious to the answer of that question, what happens beyond the grave, because God has set eternity in the hearts of men. Now, we have this fascination avoidance thing going on with eternity. So on one hand, we're fascinated by it. We want to know more. On the other hand, we're a little bit afraid to look too closely at it. We're a little bit afraid to examine too closely for fear of what we might find. So we we find ourselves in this conundrum where we want to know more, and yet we don't really want to know more. I mean, we live very busy lives. Who wants to slow down enough to figure that out? And then every once in a while, our world screeches to a halt, and we have to face the reality that God has set eternity in the hearts of men. When someone that we love dies... Someone that we know closely passes away. Our world screeches to a halt and we stare head on at that question. And we've got to figure out, like, what are we going to do with this? How do we answer this? And until we figure out how to get our lives back up to what we feel is normal speed. Well, about 11 years ago, my dad passed away from a long battle with leukemia. And it was late one night that I got the call that no one wants to get. And at the age of 62, relatively young man, my dad had ended his time on this earth. And the next morning, my family gathered, and we were given the opportunity to see my dad before the funeral home had had taken his body. And we're standing there looking at my dad laying on this table, looking at his body, and I kissed his forehead. It was cold. And it was very obvious that my dad wasn't there, that this was just my dad's body, but he wasn't there anymore. And I stood there in grief and in shock, and I was reminded that death was not a part of God's original plan. It was not part of what God wanted for humanity. God never intended for humans to die. You see, in the beginning, God created a perfect place for humans to exist. It was called the Garden of Eden. And it had within it everything that humans would need, not just for survival. Our God is not a God of just surviving. Our God is a God of thriving. So God gave us everything that we would need in order to thrive in this new world that he had made for us. Listen to what Genesis chapter two says. The Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he placed the man he had made. Now that's referring to Adam, the first man. Verse nine, the Lord God made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground, trees that were beautiful and that produced delicious fruit. Then in Genesis chapter one, verse 29, God said to Adam and Eve, look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your food. So God's given Adam and Eve everything that they could ever need and more. 
Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2 goes into great detail to describe the the care that God took to to plant and give to Adam and Eve everything that they would ever need. So they have all the food that they could ever want and more. They've got a great relationship with each other at that time. They even have a great relationship with their creator, God, who would come down to earth and walk with them and spend time with them, teaching them the best possible ways to live in his care and in his creation. Genesis 2.9 continues by saying, in the middle of the garden, God placed the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So right in the middle of the garden, right in the middle of Adam and Eve's new world, God places two very special trees. One tree with the ability to grant eternal life and the other tree with the ability to grant eternal death. Verse 16 says, But the Lord God warned Adam, You may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden. So it's as if God says to Adam and Eve, Listen, you can eat the fruit off of every tree you see everywhere here in the garden. In the middle of the garden, way over there on the horizon, way over on that horizon, you see the orchards way over there. You can eat from those trees as well. Any tree you see anywhere, except, verse 17, God says, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God says, listen, I have one rule. One rule in this perfect world I've created for you. One rule. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. Now, we aren't sure how long it took for Adam and Eve to eat the fruit that they were told that they shouldn't eat. We're not sure if it was a week. We're not sure if it was a month. We're not sure if it was a few years. But at some point, they could not resist the temptation. At some point, they looked at this tree. They saw the fruit and saw how delicious it looked. They wanted the wisdom that it could provide. And so on one fateful day, they ate the forbidden fruit. The woman Eve walked closer and closer to the tree. She sniffed and felt the fruit against her cheek. Totally wise, with open eyes, she said. What's wrong with that? Maybe my man and I were born for this. Born to know, born to control, born to rule. She swallowed hard, and it was done. She gave some to her covenant partner, Adam. He opened his mouth and gobbled it down, and the universe was silent. After that event, Genesis 3, 22 says, Then the Lord God said, Look, the human beings have become like us, knowing both good and evil. What if they reach out and take the fruit from the tree of life and eat it? Then they will live forever. So the Lord God banished them from the Garden of Eden, and he sent Adam out to cultivate the ground from which he had been made. After sending them out, the Lord God stationed mighty cherubim. Those are angels. Stationed mighty angels to the east of the Garden of Eden. And he placed a flaming sword that flashed back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. 
Now, I've often read that and wondered, why in the world would God do that? Why would God prevent Adam and Eve from eating from the tree of life? Wouldn't that solve the problem that they've created? I mean, if they could just eat the fruit from the tree of life, wouldn't that solve that problem? So why would God prevent them from such an incredible gift? It seems cruel that God would do that. Now, here's why God did that. You see, if humans were to eat from the tree of life, then we would live forever, but we would live in a fallen state. We would live in a fallen world. See, when Adam and Eve ate the fruit that they shouldn't have eaten, they brought a curse of sin and death onto the world. We live in a fallen world. All is not as it should be. I I think we know that. Turn the news on. And as you watch the news, as you look around our world, we know that our world is not as it should be. Our bodies shouldn't wear out. Things should not decay and die as they do. And there's so much suffering and pain and evil in our world that it just shouldn't be. It wasn't part of God's original plan. So God, out of his amazing love for us, kept us from eating from the tree of life. He did not want us to live in a fallen world forever. He did not want us to live in these fallen bodies forever. He wanted to restore the world and us to our original design. You see, God had a plan. Before the world was ever created, before we ever sinned, God had a plan to restore the world to its rightful place, a place of perfection, and to restore us to the place that he originally created us to be. Listen to what the last book of the Bible says about our earth being restored to its original perfect design. In Revelation 22, it says, Then the angel showed me a river with the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. It flowed down the center of the main street. On each side of the river grew a tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit with a fresh crop each month. The leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. Don't you think our nations could use a little healing today? Verse 3 says, No longer will there be a curse upon anything, for the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there, and his servants will worship him. And Revelation 22, verse 14 says, blessed are those who wash their robes. They will be permitted to enter through the gates of the city and eat the fruit from the tree of life. So the tree of life returns. We end up back in a perfect place that God originally designed, like the Garden of Eden. Our world won't remain as it is. It will be restored. God will restore it to its perfect place. God will will restore us to a place where we are in a perfect relationship with each other, in a perfect relationship with our God. Now, until God does his work of restoration, we live between the trees. We live between the tree of life in Genesis and the tree of life in Revelation. And the life that we live here between these two trees matters because there is life beyond the trees. Again, everyone will live forever somewhere, either with God or they'll spend an eternity apart from God. Now, there's a third tree that fits into God's plan, and it's a rather surprising tree. 
It's a tree that none of us would ever choose to eat from. And yet God chose to eat from it so that we could eat from the tree of life. Make another one in a hurry, they said. Got to have it today. He goes up with the two thieves from Hebron. Barbarians they are. Scum of the earth, barbarians. A lifetime in their smelly dungeons. Would be better than this torture they're about to endure. I swear by Julius Caesar, there isn't a worse way to die. Jesus, they call this man. Everyone was so excited he was here. Everything changed. We stepped in the country a few years back. They followed him around the countryside like a flock of sheep. Just a few weeks ago, the Jews were throwing down their coats and palm branches in front of him as he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. He thought he was a king. Now they want him nailed to one of my crosses. They are crucifying him because he claims to be God. That's a mouthful. What man makes himself out to be God. No God in our homeland of Rome. No God but Tiberius Caesar. Everyone but him knows he ain't a God. I remember the first time I heard Jesus teach. He spoke with real authority. He spoke like a man who believed he was God. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I'm not sure there is a heaven. He said, blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. <laughs> There's no mercy in this world. This cross will prove that to you, Jesus. He said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. I don't even know my own father. How can I know what it means to be a son of God? Now, I'm not Hebrew, but I've watched them for years. They believe there is a God. Each year, during this week, they sacrifice lambs at the temple over there to appease God. They believe the death of these lambs will cause God to forgive them of their sins and they can be made right with him again. How can mere man be made right with God? This man, Jesus, claims to be the lamb of God, the human lamb of God. And he will sacrifice himself so that everyone, everywhere, can be made right with God. Do I believe that? I don't know. I don't know if I believe that. I'd like to believe that. Because if it's true, if it's true, and there is a God, and he sacrificed himself for the sins of even a wretched man like me, then maybe I have hope.
Maybe I, a Roman cross builder, can be forgiven. Maybe I can be made right with God. Now Jesus says after dying on the cross, on this cross, that in three days, he will be alive again. I tell you, no man survives a Roman cross. It is slow, it is painful, and it is sure death. After he's crucified, two Roman coroners will come down and inspect his lifeless body, sign his death certificate, and declare him dead. And if they're wrong, they'll pay for this mistake with their lives. So you can be sure he'll be dead. If he is not who he says he is, then we'll never hear his story again. The cross has a way of erasing men from history. But if he is who he says he is, if it's true, then each one of us can be made right with God. So I'll be here on Sunday. You can bet on that. I want to see with my own eyes if this Jesus is for real. You can do what you want to. I'll be here on Sunday. So after being whipped and beaten beyond recognition, after dying a painful, slow death on a Roman cross, you would think that that would be the end of Jesus. You would think that the Roman cross would have erased Jesus from human history, that we would not be talking about him 2,000 years later. But on that first Easter morning, Jesus rose from the grave. Death could not hold him. Sin could not defeat him. He broke the curse of sin and death that we had brought onto the world. And Jesus personally revealed himself to over 500 people. There were over 500 eyewitnesses that saw a resurrected Savior. Here's the amazing thing that our God did for us. He transformed a tree that was meant for death into our tree of life. What was intended by humanity to be a tree that would end the life of Jesus and erase him from human history, God took that and in his sovereign plan, he turned it into our tree of life and handed it back to us so that we can have eternal life. Because Jesus ate the fruit from the tree of death, we get to eat the fruit from the tree of life. And we can be restored. We can be made right with God. We can be put back into a right relationship with him like Adam and Eve had before they ever rebelled. But in order to be made right with God, we first have to come to this tree. We have to come to the tree of life. We have to come to Jesus. In the Old Testament, God said, I am like a tree that is always green. All your fruit comes from me. And then Jesus said in the New Testament, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. So Jesus, our tree of life, gives each one of us an opportunity to live forever. Not in a fallen state, but in a restored 
state, the way God originally designed each one of us to live. But again, in order to gain eternal life, in order to live with God forever, we first have to come to the cross. The cross is our only, only way to get eternal life. Now, I don't want anybody to be confused about this. I don't think anyone has to wonder what will happen beyond the grave. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, it says, I have written this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. None of us have to wonder what's going to happen in eternity. We can know. We can know what will happen in our world. We can know what will happen for us when we die. Romans 3 says, But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God. Listen to this. This is how we are made right with God. By placing our faith in Jesus Christ. By placing our faith in Jesus. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. So it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter what you've done. Every one of us can be made right with God by putting our faith and trust in Jesus. That's how we can eat from the tree of life. Verse 23 says, For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. So we've all messed up. You know, it's, it's a lot of fun to kind of blame Adam and Eve for their mess up, isn't it? And I don't know if, if you've ever thought, man, if, if I could have only been there. And maybe I would have made a better choice. But the reality is we all would have made the exact same choice because we all make the exact same choice on a regular basis. We, we do the same stuff that Adam and Eve did. Like we still mess up. We still choose paths away from our God. In small ways and big ways, we all turn away from our God. And verse 24 comes along. Yet God, I love those two words. It shows that when God saw our condition was hopeless, we could do nothing to repair the damage that we had created. He stepped in. He's about to do something that only he could do. So yet God, with undeserved kindness, declares that we are righteous. So how did he do that? How did he declare that we are righteous? He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. There is so much power in that sentence. That sentence captures Easter. God himself presented Jesus for us as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. Now, if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you can do so today. You can eat from the tree of life today and gain eternal life that will last forever in a right relationship with God. Now, on your seats should have been a card that looks like this, a card and a pen. I ask you to grab that for, for just a moment. And let's look at that together. You can share with somebody next to you if you need to. And if you need a card, you can slip your hand up and one of our, our uh, lovely attendants will get a, get a card to you. Now, this card has two short prayers on it. The first prayer is for those who have never put their faith and trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior before. 
The second prayer is for those who maybe have done that before, but maybe you've drifted in your relationship with God and you'd like to recommit to living the way that you know God wants you to live. So in a moment, I'm gonna read through these prayers. Actually, I'm gonna pray through these. We're all gonna do that together. I'm gonna do that out loud and you're gonna do that quietly. And I encourage you, if one of these prayers applies to you, I encourage you to pray that prayer in your heart to God. It's a conversation that you're having. It's just you saying to God, God, I believe that Jesus is God in the flesh. I believe, Jesus, you died for me so I can have eternal life. This is a way that that you can eat from the tree of life. Now, there's nothing magical about the words on this card, nothing magical about these words. You don't say these words and then all of a sudden, hey, your world is totally changed. It's the sincerity of our heart that is important in this. Again, this is a conversation between you and God. You saying to God, I believe that you turned a tree that we meant for death into our tree of life. So let's pray together. If you've never given your heart to Jesus before, and you would like to today, you can pray this first prayer in your heart to God, and I'll pray it out loud. God, today I'm coming to the cross as my tree of life. I believe Jesus is God in the flesh and shed his blood for me. Jesus, I ask you to come into my life and be my Lord and Savior. I commit my life to becoming more like you. And I will spend my life showing others how they too can eat from the tree of life. Maybe you've prayed that prayer before in your life. And maybe the second prayer is is one that, that you would like to pray. If so, it's a prayer of recommitment where you say, God, I want to recommit my life to you. And it goes like this. God, today I recommit my life to becoming a follower of Jesus I desire to become more like Jesus every day and show others how they can eat from the tree of life and live forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you've prayed one of those prayers this morning, I encourage you to put a check mark next to the one that you prayed. And then at the end of the service, I encourage you to drop it in one of our giving boxes. We have a giving box at the back of each seating section. It's just a little wooden box. It's where people give their their tithes and their resources back to God through Epic. And I encourage you just to put a check mark there and slip that in that box. And this week, we'll take these cards and we'll get them to our elder team. Our elder team prays for our church on a regular basis. They're a team that provides spiritual leadership to our church family And we would love to pray for you. If you want to put your name on it so we know who you are, you can. If you don't want to, there's no need for that. Um, But if there's something else that you would like us to pray for, then I encourage you to flip this card over and on the back, just write your prayer request out and slip it in that box before you leave for today. We would love to join you in prayer for that thing. Now we are going to transition and we're going to celebrate communion together and I hope that today as we've walked through our journey and we've looked at what Jesus has done on the cross, I hope that we'll see communion maybe from a a little different perspective. 
that maybe as you eat the bread and drink the juice this morning, that you will really see that Jesus transformed a tree we meant for his death into a tree that he meant for our life. Now here at Epic, we believe that communion should be open to anyone who's put their faith and trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, whether you call this your church home or not. So if you have done that at one point in your life, or if you've done that today, we encourage you to be a part of communion with us. This morning, we have four tables set up in our room here. We have two up front, and we have two in the back. And in a moment, I'm going to read a passage out of the Bible, and then I'm going to pray. And when I finish praying, you'll be free to get up and move to one of those tables. And when you come to one of those tables, you'll find a, a plate of bread. You'll find a tray filled with cups of juice. And I encourage you to walk up to that table. You can come up by yourself. You can come up as a family. You can come up as a small group or come up with friends. It doesn't matter. You can come up any way that you would like. And as you come to the table, I encourage you to take one piece of bread, take one cup of juice, step to one side and pause to thank God for what he did on the cross for us. And then go ahead and eat the bread. Go ahead and drink the juice. And then you can go ahead and sit back down and join our worship team in this final song that we'll be singing today. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 says, On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord God took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, This is my body which is given for you. Do this to remember me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Now listen to how seriously God takes communion. Verse 27, anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. That is why you should examine yourselves before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat this bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you're eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. That is why many of you are weak and sick and some have even died. But if we would examine ourselves, we would not be judged by God in this way. So God takes communion very seriously and he asks us to put it the same amount of weight into it. So what I would like us to do right now is just pause for a moment and let's just examine our hearts through prayer and then we'll take communion together. So let's pray. God, we come before you today celebrating our risen Savior. We cannot thank you enough for turning the cross into our tree of life. We're forever grateful for the sacrifice you've made for us. God, as we come to communion, we understand that you take it very seriously and you want us to take it very seriously as well. You want us to remember the sacrifice that you made for us. You want us to examine our lives and make sure we're living in a way that honors you before we take communion. So this morning, Lord, if there's anything that we need to make right with you, please point that out. If there are any broken relationships that we need to repair, please show us that. We understand that when we take communion, we are identifying ourselves with Christ. 
We are committing to live as Jesus did. We are agreeing to sacrifice our lives for others. We are declaring our dependence upon you as our tree of life. So today we thank you for the sacrifice that you've made for us. And we announce the Lord's death and we celebrate his resurrection until he comes again. In Jesus' powerful name, amen. You are free to get up from your seats and come and take communion. You may be seated for just a moment. If you've prayed one of those prayers this morning, I encourage you again to, to drop it in our, one of our giving boxes before you leave today. Again, it'll be a privilege for us to pray for you, either in your new relationship with God or as you recommit to your relationship with God. And if you have become a new believer in Jesus today, and if you would like to follow that up with baptism, we have a baptism this afternoon at 5 p.m., so we're going to be meeting down at 16th Street North in Flagler Beach, and it's going to be a, a great day for that. We sent Tim out early, and he's uh, put the shark uh, thing out, you know, to keep the sharks away. So it'll be great. I think we have about 10 people signed up for baptism, and if you would like to join us in being baptized today to announce to the world that you have given your heart to Jesus, then I encourage you to stop by our Connection Center before you leave. Talk with Tim and he will get you signed up for that. Now, one of the things that we talk about on a regular basis here at Epic is this thing of giving, where God says, listen, I'm a great giver, and I want you to learn to become like me. So I want you to give back to me out of your time, your talents, and your resources. So if you call this, this church your church home, we encourage you to give back to God out of what God has given you. And you can do that in several ways. You can give through one of our giving boxes here, or you can give online at theepicchurch.com. I don't know if you've checked out lately, but we have a new website out there, so I encourage you to go check out our website. Uh, our, our web designer did a great job with that. We're excited about that. Now, we have a new series coming up next week, and let's just take a look at a video that will intro this for us. It was my birthday, and I got a phone call from my mom. I was expecting that she was going to wish me a happy birthday, but instead... Uh, uh, she told me that my grandfather had died, and uh, about an hour later, I got another phone call from my mom and found out that it uh, was a suicide, and uh, I don't know what to think. Don't know what my next birthday will be like. It's definitely going to be different. I actually woke my husband up out of a dead sleep. I asked him question after question after question, to which he responded with all the answers that I never wanted to hear. Yes, there was someone else. Yes, he loved her. And no, he did not want to see if Grace fit here. He wanted a divorce. I had no idea where to go or what to do next. It's already been two years. I've seen doctor after doctor, specialist after specialist, and still no answers. I went from living a healthy and active lifestyle as a mother with four kids. Now I find myself confined to bed most of the time with excruciating pain. And the hope and confidence that I had had in medicine and in doctors and family, especially in God, has disappeared. I feel completely abandoned, hopeless. My 
boss asked me to meet her at one of the locations that I supervise. In the space of about 20 minutes, I went from a career that I'd had for 10 years to nothing. Our entire livelihood was gone. I don't, I don't know where to go from here. It's scary, it's unknown, it's confusing, and it's just gone. So we all find ourselves at, at one point or another in our lives in these spaces in between where we're not where we were and we're not where we want to be. Maybe we're in between jobs or in between a job that we hate and a career that we want to be in. Or we're in between relationships or we're in between this bad health that maybe we've found ourselves in and the good health that we desire. We all end up in in-between places. And the question is, how does God want us to walk through those spaces? Is that just wasted time? Or is there something that God wants us to learn as we walk through those transitional seasons of life? So I hope that you'll come back next week as we start that series. I think it's going to be a great series for, for many of us who understand what it's like to be in a, a space of in-between. Now, I'm going to ask all of you to stand with me, and our worship team is going to send us out with one final chorus today, and I just want to say to all of you, Happy Easter. Thank you for being here. Well, good morning, and uh, welcome to Epic. We are so excited that you are here today. Happy Easter. Um, my name is Tim Jones, and I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and we're just so glad to have you here today. Uh, let me tell you a few things that are going on in the month of April that are set for. As you saw in the video, we are about to open up some of our small group environments, and the first one is Starting Point, and it is a 10-week uh, small group environment where you have a conversation about finding your place in the story of God and then also beginning to experience community. And so we would love for you to be able to jump on in to that group environment and be able to ask your questions and also be able to experience that environment together. It's a great, safe place to be. And then if you've been through Next Step or Starting Point, we would love for you to jump into Next Step after that. It's a great place to be able to have a conversation about what this relationship with God is about and also what this relationship with each other is about. And so if you've been through Starting Point, we'd love for you to jump in to Next Step as well. And then on April 14th, we are having Epic Day at the park. And so this is a great time to be able to just come out to the park and be able to have a great time with people, get to know each other, bring out some food, uh, also be able to meet some new people and everything with families and friends. And so that's down at Wadsworth Park, and we'd love for you to be able to come out and join us there as well. And then also, in the month of April, starting next week, we are having a food drive. And so we need your help to bring out some non-perishable food items for the entire month of April to help out a local food pantry called uh, Grace Community Food Pantry. And they do an awesome job of helping people right here in our own community. They help to serve about 2,000 people, or yeah, 2,000 people a month uh, in helping them to meet their needs and everything. So would you bring food items in? There's a cart in the back over by the Connection Center, and we would love for you to be a part of that as well. And so today we'd love for you just to enjoy the service and uh, let me pray as we continue on. Father, uh, we thank you for today. We thank you for who you are and what you are doing. And uh, God, just continue to show us who you are today. And we thank you so much in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs> 